Hey everybody, welcome. Welcome to Theology on Tap. We're glad that you're here. Go ahead, we've got pizza up here and around. Grab some of that if you're hungry. And uh, Annie's over at the bar, she'll take care of you there. Grab a drink, make your way, grab a seat. When you can, we're gonna get started. We're so glad that you're here. Uh, if this is your first time, welcome. Uh, just a quick word on what we do. <laughs> Normally we have two mics, and I'm not holding this like this, like a buffoon. But um, we're going to be passing the mic tonight. It's going to be great. It's going to be. It's going to be great. So much fun. Not one of my New Year's resolutions to do this, but it's okay. Uh, this little sheet, you'll see these sheets around the room. These are going to be really important because the way this goes is we talk for about 25 minutes uh, on a variety of topics tonight. We're going to be talking about New Year's resolutions, and. Then the fun part happens uh, from 8 to 8.30. You can text in on this top QR code any question whatsoever. And is Colton, are you, uh, Colton will be curating all those questions for us tonight. So go ahead. I mean, you can even start submitting any question you want right now. Uh, so it doesn't have to be related to the talk we're going to give right now. Um, but it can be. It could be, obviously. Uh, if you are not on our email list and want to, you can see another QR code there. You can sign up there. And also, I want to draw your attention to, uh, we're going to do an oyster roast for young adults over at St. Philip's in the courtyard there. We'd love to have you join us there. Uh, it's going to be Sunday, January 23rd from 3 to 5 p.m. It's a beautiful spot. It's going to be a lot of fun. Registration closes in like a week, though. So uh, do sign up. If, it's a lot of fun. We're all there. It's going to be a great time. So, with that, I think we'll get started. All right. Yeah. Um, Brian, how, happy, new, happy New Year to all of you. Yeah. We, we made it to another year of Theology on Tap. That's something, right. 2022. 2022. Amazing. Yeah. It hasn't been a full year of us doing this yet, but that's yep. going to be fun. Um, but yeah, Happy New Year. How was your holiday? <laughs> Thank you for passing the microphone to me. Um, yeah, so we had a very unusual Christmas, not what we expected, uh, because my daughter, who's a senior in college, tested positive for COVID on the 23rd, uh, so that meant we spent Christmas in quarantine, uh, but the folks at St. Folks were great and worked around my absence, not only for all the Christmas services, but for the Sunday after Christmas, where I was supposed to be preaching, uh, but that all worked out, and we had a lot of great family time, uh, we opened presents over FaceTime, which was kind of a new thing, uh, but there was actually a lot of joy in it, and we had a sense of humor about it, and fortunately, nobody had much in the way of symptoms, so, and we're all good now, we've all tested negative, um, lest you be worried that I'm here tonight, um, so we, we are good, so how was your Christmas? My, well. Yeah, mine was great, and congrats all of you. I mean, you've made it. I, I, we didn't know if there would be anyone that showed up tonight because of the, the surge in COVID, but obviously you all made it through, so that's fantastic. Mine was great, uh, a little stressful. The kids were home from school for two weeks, so we have a nine-week-old at the house, and uh, with an eight- and a five-year-old, that is just a lot of noise. So we were thrilled that they went back to school today, but had a lot of fun. Uh, closed on our house today, which I'm thrilled about, so excited for that. Yeah, 
That means they no longer have to deal with one bathroom That's right. for two adults and three children. We have a bathtub. We didn't have a bathtub before, so now we have a bathtub. <laughs> we just took showers. We're all very grateful for that. Yeah, well, we showered, all right? Come on. Even the nine-week-old showered. It was kind of an amazing sight. But anyways, uh, yeah, so we're going to talk about New Year's resolutions tonight. Did you make any resolutions for this year? I did. Nobody heard you. Yes, so I did make some resolutions for this year, but I also have given myself a bye um, until Monday of next week uh, because we still have a bunch of relatives in town that involve lots of strange alterations to the schedule. So um, I'm going to start on Monday, but I'm very excited for some of these resolutions. Well, I... Uh I didn't make any New Year's resolutions until we started talking about this, and so I'm going to do the same thing that you've done, which is I'm going to start on Monday. That sounds, sounds great. Um, but one of the things that we were talking about in preparing for this was, uh, any, anybody heard of Jonathan Edwards before? Yeah, American uh, theologian, pastor. Uh, he wrote, what, 70, 72 resolutions? 70. 70, sorry. Um, at what age? 19? Age 19. Age 19. And so I had forgotten completely about them, but those were some of the most uh, impactful resolutions I'd ever read. Read them in college and then kind of forgot about them, honestly. And so there's some really good ones. We're going to share our favorites. And so, Brian, I was curious what uh, some of your favorites were. I printed them out up here. Yeah. When I left the book, so I'm going to grab that. So you might remember Jonathan Edwards from high school English. Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, uh, which makes uh, Jonathan Edwards sound like somebody who would not want to be sitting next to a theology on tap. Um, but he actually is an amazing person and um, someone who, I'm not trying to make anyone feel bad, but Jonathan Edwards matriculated at Yale. Anybody want to guess what age? 14. 14? No. 17. No. Eight? <laughs> twelve. He matriculated at Yale at age twelve. But that's okay. Piece of um, cake. Yeah, so anyway, he is someone that uh, is worth learning more about, but his resolutions are kind of famous. Uh, and one of the things about them that was particularly striking to me when I was rereading them, thinking about tonight, is how many of his resolutions are about being formed for the kingdom of God. And they're not about, you know, just self-improvement, getting more buff, uh, you know, whatever it might be, but really about changing his heart to really desire the things of God and to make the most of the time he had. So the four that I loved um, out of the 70, the first one, uh, and the lawyer in me loves the fact that each resolution starts with the word resolved. Great, sounds just like a contract. So he says, resolved never to lose one moment of time, but improve it the most profitable way I possibly can. And related, resolved to live with all my might while I do live. And then also related, resolved never to do anything which I should be afraid to do if it were the last hour of my life. And then I love this last one because it's so reflective. Resolved, after afflictions, 
to inquire what I am the better for them, what good I have got by them, and what I might have got by them. I think there's just some deep wisdom in all of those. So which ones did you like? Of course, we had a few that were similar. Chris, Such a how, surprise. how should we hold this? I, there's a lot of like sound. Should we hold it closer down here and just turn it up? Yeah, if you can hold it away from your mouth down there, be better. Down here? Okay, we'll do that. You can you turn can it up. You can clip it and unclip it. No, I'm not going to do that. No, don't do that. That's too much. No, absolutely not. Thank you. No, so a couple things that stood out to me, and I reread these. Um, he, he starts it out with, remember to read over these resolutions once a week. And at first I was like, wow. Yeah, that is probably really important. Mm -hmm. uh, so I can talk about that in a little bit. But the resolve never to do any to do any manner of thing, whether in soul or body, less or more, but what tends to the glory of God, nor be nor suffer it if I can possibly avoid it. So again, like you're talking about, just the centrality of God's glory yeah. as His aiming focus. Uh, I really love the one. I just shared this one today with a friend. Um, about being resolved never to do anything which I should be afraid to do if it were the last hour of my life. That is such but you a... stole that from me. I did, because <laughs> I knew we would have at least one that was the same. Uh -huh. um, but think of how wise that is. Yep. I mean, if you were wondering at any moment if this is a thing that I would be afraid to do in the last hour of my life or be ashamed of... Yep. Then it's a great filter. It. It's a great filter. The one on character really stood out oh, to yeah. me. So good. All right, listen to this. This would make uh, just incredible to try to live up to this. Resolved to act in all respects, both speaking and doing, as if nobody had been so vile as I, and as if I had committed the same sins or had the same infirmities or failings as others, and that I will let the knowledge of their failings promote nothing but shame in myself and prove only an occasion of confessing my own sins. And misery of God. I think every time you think about somebody who has done something wrong or bad, if you had that mentality, how much better life oh, yeah. would actually be for for everyone. So those are some of the big ones. But what, what, uh, like just remembering to do it and to read over these every week, that stood out to me. We've been reading through, as I told you, the um, Silver Chair, the Chronicles mm -hmm. of Narnia, with my kids, and so good, so good. And in the Silver Chair, they're on this voyage. Uh, or this journey to find this lost prince and Aslan who is like the Jesus figure in the story he gives one of the main characters Jill four signs that she has to tell herself over and over and over again because on this journey it's going to be really easy to forget them and of course she ends up forgetting them along the way but it just was so timely because I think if you want to experience real change which is what we're talking about tonight the importance of just totally immersing yourself in what you're hoping to do and recalling and remembering the role of remembering mm -hmm. and recalling is so important if you want to experience change yes yeah I think that whole idea of remembering recalling and the first thing is to um, I was going to a French word there for a minute there's a great French word concretiser which we don't have in English, it would be concretized, which doesn't sound very good. But it's basically the idea of, like, if you have goals or resolutions, to write them down in a very clear format so that you know exactly what it is that you're trying to commit yourself to do. Because the problem for a lot of us is we have so much stuff in our headspace 
that it's all floating around up there and we may think we're going to remember these goals and resolutions, but writing them down is really, really important. And then another thing that relates to that, uh, that uh, there's some great wisdom. If you have a copy of the screw tape letters, uh, your homework assignment, if you choose to accept it, is to go read letter 13. But he talks a lot about how, um, and this is the devil trying to tempt someone who's new to the Christian faith. And he talks a lot about how what you want to do is get somebody all worked up in their mind and emotions so they're feeling something, but to make them not ever act on any of those feelings. So like, suppose somebody is feeling, I really, this is the year that I'm going to do something to actually help people who are more disadvantaged than I am. And I'm going to try to um, be involved with them. And the problem is a lot of us may feel empathy or sympathy or whatever it might be and feel like we should do something and we may talk about it a lot and post on social media, but we don't ever actually do anything. And in Screwtape, Satan says that's exactly where we want the Christian to be, to have all these ideas and feelings, but to never act on them. So that writing down and then refocusing and then um, the whole idea of being accountable might be important. Yeah, yeah that's, that's good stuff. I'm wondering, you know, oftentimes you, I, I fall prey a lot to that, just thinking about it, being passionate about it, but never actually following through on it. And I'm wondering if you've ever made resolutions or tried to do something, things that you experience a gap between what you know you ought to be doing or things that you've said to yourself, I'm, I want to do this, a gap between that and actually doing it. Yeah, I, I hope so, because then you wouldn't, I don't know. It's yeah. the human condition. Yeah, that's right, it's the human condition. But Brian, what would you say to somebody to try and bridge that gap of going from what you know you want to do to actually doing it? Yeah. Yeah, I think that's the crux of the matter. And I would say it involves a couple of things. The first is to write down things that are um, achievable. That matters. Like, if your uh, New Year's resolution is to be uh, the next person to take a private space flight, um, that's probably not going to happen. I hope I'm not bursting anyone's bubble. Um, but what you want to do is make sure that it whatever it is is achievable and that it's important and that you write it down. The second thing, and this is where you really get the difference between just making a resolution and experiencing change, is you need to share whatever that goal or resolution is with someone else and ask them to hold you accountable. And part of doing that is to have some action steps that are involved with it. And there's a great little handout here. Um, you have heard us talk about this book called The Common Rule um, that is such a fantastic book. And so he has this whole thing about New Year's resolutions. It's really good. And so he says um, you need to have practices or habits that will help you with the goal. So it's things like if your goal is to write a book in the year 2022, uh, then a habit would be to write 300 words each weekday morning. So have something that's practical and measurable that you can do. And then the other thing, in addition to accountability, and this goes way back to the book of Proverbs. I don't know how many of you have spent much time in the book of Proverbs. If you haven't, 
I would really commend that book to you and also commend to you, there's a great uh, book about Proverbs written by Tim Keller um, that is, um, I think, Godly Wisdom for Navigating Life or something like that. But it's really excellent. But one of the things Proverbs talks about is, uh, and they phrase it many different ways, but it's essentially, you become your friends. And the idea is that if your goal is to, say, stop drinking in 2022, which might be a goal for some people for health reasons or otherwise, if all the people that you hang out with are going every Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday night and getting totally wasted, it's probably going to be difficult for you to hold on to that goal. So surrounding yourself with people that are going to that already possess, in some measure, some of the things that you're trying to aspire to, that can be a really helpful thing. Yeah, no, I'm really, I, the book, The Common Rule, that, that's up here. I, I love what he says in these, these were his Instagram posts that I just printed off, but, um, you know, one of the things, I played golf for most of my life, and that was a big, uh, in, in college, played there, and the difference between result goals versus process goals, mm -hmm. the brain actually can't really take in, lose 20 pounds in 2020. It just doesn't know how to actually, it's not a Do task, that. you know? Yeah. And so um, if you go to the gym three times a week and you have no sugar after dinner, that's a very, like you said, not only manageable, but like uh, it has to do with the process as opposed to the result. I still think it's great to try and have something like a goal, like lose 20 pounds or whatever. Um, a result-oriented goal, I would say. But, yeah. um, it just makes it a little bit more easy and uh, accountable, actually, mm -hmm. because you can't actually, the more steps along the way that you're able to hold yourself to that process and others like you talked about, that's really important. Another thing I would add about this gap between what you know in your head you want to do but not actually having the willpower to carry it out, I mean, oftentimes in resolutions we'll start maybe January 1 or whatever and go till the 15th of January at best. Like some people don't make it even the first week uh, trying to accomplish their resolutions. It's about forming habits. Mm -hmm. And that's what we love about this book. Um, all these are up here. You're welcome to come check them out. But uh, about, about forming habits of the heart. And so what you love ultimately is revealed in your habits. And so if you want to try and change something, just sheer willpower isn't really going to last very long. You actually have to form and reform, reshape what you love. And I love this quote. Um, this is an, in the introduction. Great book, Tech Wise Family. I, I wish it wasn't called some of this because even if you are not a part of a, you know, if you don't have children yeah, or whatever. If you're a single, it's still It's great. still really, yeah. really, really good because it's talking about technology and how we're addicted to it. And he's, James K. Smith has this uh, endorsement. He says, micro practices have macro implications for our lives. The rituals that we adopt around tiny computers in our pockets can either eat us alive or release us for relationships. So I think, you know, that just right there, the idea that little habits that you do are the key to actually changing long-term some of the, the things that you want to, to change. Yes, I would say that is absolutely right. And Common Rule is such a good book for that, and this TechWise family also. But I think part of what is so important in this area of having um, the possibility of real change in your life is the idea of intentionality. 
and intentionality is something that our culture seems to be running in the opposite direction at 100 miles an hour. And it was funny, I saw um, two different segments on the news this week that had to do with New Year's resolutions. And the first segment was an interview with the, whatever the trade association for gems is. And it talked about how all of these gems, there's a huge market in the first two weeks of January for rental gem equipment. And so many gems will stock up on all of this new equipment for the first two weeks in January because they invariably have a surge of people in those first two weeks. But by the end of the second week, it's gone right back to where it was in December. And so if you, you, know, you can make a lot of money running for those two weeks. But then the other segment that was the one that I found particularly fascinating uh, was that, uh, and I can't remember what they called it, they had some trendy word for it, but it's basically the idea of making a schedule for your week before the week starts. And that it was like this radical idea that no one had ever thought of in the history of the world before. And it was like sweeping through New York right now. And all of the cool people in New York were doing this new thing of on Sunday, planning what they were going to do on the other days of the week. And it was really funny. But the flip side of that is there's a deep truth there. And one of the things that's happened, and I see this in my own life because I'm so old I can remember when not, not just the brick cell phone, but when there was no cell phone. Um, now, most people make plans on the fly. You know, it's very rare that you make plans a week in advance for things. And if you're going to be intentional about your life, what you want to do is plan time to allow for the things that are important to you to take place during the week. And to allow time, if there are things that need to happen every day, you need to plan when those things are going to happen. If one of your goals is to grow in your love of scripture, um, then allocating a particular time each day that you plan on to be in scripture, and maybe to even do that with someone else at the same time, that can be huge. But writing that sort of stuff down, writing, having like a grid for your week, that can be absolutely transformative. It doesn't cost anything. You don't have to pay a life coach or a psychologist or anything. You just have to write in little blocks what you're going to do during those times. And you don't have to be a slave to it. But it does enable you to try to make your priorities line up with the way you invest your time. Yeah, scheduling and uh, planning ahead is absolutely critical. I think going along with that, preparing, uh, and so setting yourself up for success. You know, one of the things that Molly gets on my wife just gets on me all the time is, you know, somehow when I take the kids to school in the mornings, it doesn't seem to go as well when she does it. I don't know how this is the case, but... Actually, I do know how. Well, uh -huh. She sets out the clothes the night before. She's got the lunches made the night before. She's got everything, basically the breakfast, ready there. She knows what she's going to do. Meanwhile, I've cleaned the dishes, and I'm, geez, I'm going to bed. I'm tired. So I wonder why I'm scrambling last minute. I'm angry at myself, and, at the, and it's just coming out. And it's like, my goodness, well, this is terrible. So I didn't prepare. I didn't self, set myself up for success. And I think that's a critical thing 
whatever kind of resolution or goal or area you want to see change in is actually not just planning about it, but to really go ahead and take the steps now to go ahead and set yourself up to actually accomplish it. And uh, the flip side of that is by removing the obstacles that you know are going to be there that are going to tempt you yeah. to do otherwise. Yeah. yeah, I think that's a huge point. And I think one of the things that is related to that is that when you have a schedule and where you are prepared at some level, you can live fully into each thing that you're doing. And you can experience <laughs> joy in it. And when you don't do that, it steals your joy. So like, I'm not gonna say it's not joyful on those mornings when your kids are screaming and there are no it's clean clothes and there's no food. Maybe y'all are having a great time together, um, but usually that's not the way it works. And so uh, one of the authors I like um, wrote a book about probably 30 years ago, it's called Little House on the Freeway. And basically says, we, in our culture live in a state of routine panic and that we are never prepared or rarely prepared. And because of that, we can't be present in the experiences that we have and we can't experience the joy that the Lord has for us because we're in such a state. And it's just like the example I always think of, and this is something that has gotten much better for me um, now that I'm in the clergy because I have to be at church really early but it used to be when we had children, it was such a nightmare when I was at home and Jane was at home, and we're trying to get our children dressed and get to church and get there on time. And the problem was we didn't prepare. We eventually figured this out, fortunately. But in the early years, we didn't understand why is it that it's oh, Sunday morning is like the worst day of the week and you like want to kill your children and kill your spouse. And then you go in and you're like supposed to be having this great worship time. Um, and that didn't really work. And then we realized, oh, well, maybe if we like planned what we were doing for breakfast, if we had a definite time that we were leaving, if we had the kids' clothes ready, if we had extra diapers on the ready, if we did all of those things and then planned to get to church 15 minutes before it started, it might really change things. And you know what? It changed things dramatically. But the problem is a lot of us live, you may not be dealing with babies and diapers, but we live in that routine panic where we're not able to fully experience the joy um, because of the fact that we haven't prepared. Yeah, I think routines, you know, habits, these things, they are so subtle, they happen over time without us really knowing it. They become second nature to us. And I think one of the things that you have to, to do if you want to actually experience whatever sort of change in your life is you actually have to take note of what are the things that are forming your habits. Um, James K. Smith in his book, uh, love this book, You Are What You Love, he talks about the power of habit and he says basically what's really important is taking a liturgical audit of your life is what he says. So uh, those who are in marketing know this especially, that your goal in marketing is to, in a very short amount of time, capture the affections of, of people without them really knowing it. Because if you can capture their affections, their will is typically going to follow that. And so, um, you know, I think that's one of the really important things is our hearts are being sold all sorts of things, not just uh, on TV or in messages, but even having a, having a phone, like 
the very process, not even the content yeah. that you're looking at, but what is the process of having a screen that you control what comes your way? Well, the, it actually teaches you you're the center of the universe, you know, just the very act of doing, you know, this scrolling kind of um, mannerism, basically. So there's a million of these things that happen in our day-to-day -day that actually form our hearts. So the step, first step is important to actually recognize, like, what are all these things that are happening? And then to be intentional, like we've said, about setting up um, counter-reforming practices or, or things that can work inside. I think going to worship is one of those. Going, I think we'd be remiss to say, like, the heart is, is kind of like a... It's like a rudder or a compass. Like it's going to point you wherever you want to go. So you know you can make a goal. You can set your uh, be intentional and bring community in, and it could lead you to a place that may not be the most joyful or the the most good for your life. So you have to actually ask the question. And what we would say is that God. I mean the the I love this um, the first question to the Westminster yep. Catechism is what is the highest goal? What is the chief end of man? It's to know God, to glorify God, and enjoy Him forever. So it's, I think we'd be remiss to say if, if we left that to the side on a, talking about habits. Like You can create all sorts of habits, but are they actually the best habits for you? And I would say until you actually have those rooted in uh, enjoying a relationship with God, they're, they're not going to be the soul-satisfying thing you want. Yeah, yeah and we've, we've talked before about this whole... You might remember those fancy Greek words, mimetic and poetic, that we talked about. But the whole idea of are you living your life in such a way that you are conforming to the way that God has created the world and life and truth and goodness and beauty? Or are you in rebellion against that where you're trying to create your own reality? And joy comes for Christians when we are lining ourselves up with the values of the kingdom of God. And one of the things I love in the common rule is that some of the practices, the habits he commends are to start each day not by looking at yourself, and I'm not gonna ask you to raise your hand if the first thing you do when you wake up is look at yourself, but he commends spending some time to get up out of bed, spend a little bit of time on your knees in prayer and a little bit of time in the Word of God. It doesn't need to be a long time, but just that framing of that before you look at your phone makes a huge difference in stating what your priorities are. And I think for many of us, one of the great things about New Year's reflection is it's a great time to think about, if I look at the past year, is it a year that I grew closer to God, or is it a year that I grew farther away from God? And if I grew closer to God, what are the things that are helping me to do that? Because I need more of those in my life. Or, if the converse is true, if I feel like I'm drifting away from God, what's causing that? What are the things that I need to take out of my life um, in order to stop that drift? That's great. I think we can keep going, but uh, it's after, after 8. So yes. let's, uh, how are we doing on questions, Colton? don't have a lot, so okay. people could take a minute. Um, yeah, and take a minute, because I thought... you might have, whether they're related or unrelated, yes. um, and then like the ones that you want. I'm going back, because I remembered one of the resolutions from Jonathan Edwards that I was like, really enjoyed that I wanted to talk about. Where was it? 
It was about dying and death. Great. I thought it was amazing. Uh, how about this? Yeah. So this was one of his resolutions. To think much on all occasions of my own dying and of the common circumstances which attend death. Who makes resolutions like that nowadays? Like, that's incredible. But I think when you look at our world, like, yes, we suppress death to the side. Very, very, very few people actually think about it and prepare for it. And I think that's one of the most important things you can do for your own life, for your own soul, ultimately, is preparing for the fact that you are going to die. Uh, And Jonathan Edwards made it something every week he guaranteed himself that he was going to think about his death. I thought that was kind of amazing. And I would say the converse of that is that when you do that, it makes you aware of how precious the gift of each day is. And if you've ever been friends with someone who is a cancer survivor who almost died, um, I would commend spending time with some people like that because their whole view of life and what life is about is profoundly different. Because when you realize that you might lose your life, um, it changes dramatically your appreciation. It's like going to a funeral. Yeah, I think that's the same thing. How are we doing? Do we have any more? Anything? Yeah. Make sure you repeat the questions. Oh, yeah, we got to repeat the questions, too. Chances are. All right, go for it, Colton. So the, the first question is, where is the pizza? <laughs> oh, where is the pizza from? Great question. So Giovanni's is right down the street. I think it's just a block away. It's delicious pizza. I hope you enjoy it. Um, normally, we love having the folks here at Henry's provide us with some apps. Uh, but tonight, we get to enjoy some pizza. So there you go. Great question. <laughs> <laughs> why should I become an official member of my church? And why does that matter? Why should I become an official member of my church, and why does that matter? Thank you, Jessica. Uh, One of the reasons is very much like what we've talked about tonight. Uh, When we are in the church, the church, each congregation is a small part of the body of Christ. And being committed to a particular group of people is really important because when you just sort of shop around and go to different churches all of the time, you're never really invested in one place. And part of the idea of being part of the body of Christ is not only do you receive and get formed by the other people who are in that particular body, but your gifts are important to that body as well. And I think for many of us, it's easy to fall into a consumer mentality with church of feeling like I want to go where I'm going to have an experience um, and we don't we don't really get involved and we don't think about the fact that the things that we love at the church like um, the fact that there's coffee or the fact that there's somebody to help you find a seat or all of those things that those involve people who are part of that body of Christ serving others and so um, what we don't want to do is get uh, sort of the, the Facebook friend mentality about church that it's all about me and if you do something I don't like I'll just unfriend you or unfollow you um, being committed to a particular body of Christ and a particular group of people I think is important and it also helps you to sort out your theology 
uh, which I think is also a worthy endeavor. Yeah, I think this is such a timely one given COVID and the amount of time that we spent a lot on the availability. Obviously, in a pandemic, you have to do what you can, but it, it is not the same thing. The, the church is is the people. That Fundamentally, it's the people of God together. It's the called out assembly of God's people. And one of the metaphors that is in the New Testament is the body of Christ, as you said. And it can be really easy to make that totally abstract or just think about like all the Christians everywhere were a part of that. I would challenge you to think about a local church being part of the body and that you have a part to play that's pivotal, as you said, not just um, with the daily activities that go on in the life of the church, but the church is not a stagnant thing. It is a living, growing organism that is doing great work in the world that you're called to play a part of. And I think it'd be really easy to be anonymous. I think that's one of the things we all fear is being known and rejected. Uh, But one of the things that we, uh, especially in change, we need is one another. Uh, If you want to experience personal change, uh, but also the church is a concrete group of people that needs each other's gifts, that no one person has it all. Uh, and that you have a part to play. So I think the whole idea of being an anonymous Christian is really kind of an uh, oxymoron almost. Like you, you have to be present there and uh, yeah, part of yeah. the body. Great question. Yep. What do you think of New Year's resolutions that revolve around vanity, such as working out or making money? That's a great question. What do you think about resolutions that revolve around vanity? working out or making money. My initial thought to that is that, you know, those things could be vain, right? I mean, it's not a bad thing to make money. It's not a bad thing, actually, to, to care for your body. Uh, it all goes down to what is what are you trying to get out of this? How are you approaching it, right? So um, one of the patterns, or one of the, I guess, images that we're called to be in the New Testament is a steward. And so you're given a certain amount of resources with your life. You're given a body that you are said that's actually not your own. That's a pretty radical thing today is that your body doesn't belong to you. It belongs to God. These are all straight out of the New Testament. So the important idea of actually, uh, why am I doing some of these resolutions? What am I hoping to get out of it? Is it just trying to make me feel better? Is it trying to make me um, more appealing to somebody else? At the end of the day, what we're trying to be is stewards of what God has given us because only then are we going to experience the greatest joy in our lives. Yeah, I would completely agree with that and add that the motivation behind it is so important because if the motivation behind the goal of going to the gym or making more money or getting a better job is because if I get that or I do that, then I'll be happy Um, That is a lie from our culture. And so um, you're setting yourself up um, for despair if you do that. Uh, So I think what you want to do is see whether those goals are a means to a different end. Um, As Justin was saying, stewardship is really important. Stewardship of your body, of your talents, of your education, all those things are really important. But if you make them an end in themselves, they will not uh, suffice. It's more more weight than they can bear. There's a great Lewis quotation where he says, God cannot give us happiness and joy apart from himself because there is no such thing. That's good. Why don't you hold on to that? 
Okay. <laughs> I never feel like reading my Bible. Any advice? Oh, that's a great question. I never feel like reading my Bible. Any advice? This reminds me of when I first became a Christian and I was uh, almost a freshman in college and I knew I was supposed to read the Bible. And so, I mean, the Bible's a book, right? So if you're reading a book, what do you do? You start at the beginning and you just read. And so I read and Genesis wasn't too bad. Exodus was kind of cool. And then I got to Leviticus and Numbers and I was like, there must be something wrong with me because this is not floating my boat. So uh, I think that if you're not excited about reading the Bible, one of the best things you can do is go talk to somebody who is excited about reading the Bible and find out how it is that they read the Bible and why they're excited about it. Um, There are so many different ways of reading the Bible. Uh, and there's so many aids that can help you with that, that it can be something that is actually really exciting and joyful that you look forward to. And if somebody had told me that right after I finished Leviticus, um, I would have said, you are crazy. But it's the truth. So I would say find somebody that's enthusiastic, um, which can include Justin and me, um, and some other folks that are in here and talk to them. Yeah, I would add to that. Um, all the Bible is God's word. All of it is clear, and we can understand it. However, not all of it is easy to understand. And so there's parts of it. I would say, if you're going to start, read something in the Gospels every day. Encounter Jesus. The, the, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are about Jesus' life. So read something there that's usually a lot. It's narrative. It's not like Old Testament law, which is where you probably got bogged down. But you're reading about what Jesus did and who he was. And I would say start there. That's really important. Yeah. Um, I would also, practical tip, don't read it on your phone because you're going to have a million other things that come up. Also, I would, this may sound true, read it with somebody else. Mm-hmm. Like if you have a hard time reading by yourself, you're not interested. Do it with somebody else, and just be honest about it. Like I have a hard time reading uh, by myself; I get distracted. Would you? Just, what if we just got together and read it together? Um, you'd be amazed what kind of amazing conversation and insights would come when you do that with other people. And one thing I would add to that is uh, a great way to do that that will make you do it. If you're like me, and sometimes your motivation is slack. Um, is to find a friend and say, okay, let's read the Gospel of Mark together. And at 9 p.m. each day, we are going to each pick one verse out of the chapter that we read, and we're going to text it to each other along with two or three sentences about why we liked that particular verse. And that's a great way to be thoughtful and reflective, but to also encourage your friend. What's next? How does ambition fit in with the Christian life? If man was made to be great by God, how do we ensure that our ambition leads to his glory and not our ambition? Oh my goodness. <laughs> that question brings me okay, so oh man, I was so happy when you were reading it that I think I couldn't even repeat it now. Tell me it again. <laughs> how does ambition fit in with the Christian life? 
if man was made to be great by God, how do we ensure that our ambition leads to his glory and not our own? So how does ambition fit in with the Christian life? If we were made for God, how do we ensure that our ambition is ultimately for him? Boy, ambition is such a fickle thing, right? Um, this would be, we should do a whole topic on this we probably. Should. I think we'll do that next time. Um, no, I, I think that, it, again, it goes down to uh, what are you longing for when you long to be great? What are you hoping to aspire to? And the, the ultimate problem that the Bible says that man has is that we're curved in on ourselves, that we're all about ourselves. So self-centeredness is the problem of the entire world. And so ambition, rightly ordered, is about striving for truly great things uh, and ultimately, that's a good thing. So ambition, when it's for the right ends, with the right motivation, is a really good thing. And ultimately, like we said, that is for the things of God and His kingdom. So wanting to do good things, striving to do good things, is a great thing, and you should do that. And if you are a human being, you're going to naturally struggle with, I'm doing these great things, and people see me doing these great things, and boy, does that feel good. And that's where it starts to go, I'm doing this to be noticed. Yeah, and in addition to that, one of the things that is throughout the New Testament in particular, but also in the Old Testament, is this whole idea is that God is glorified by excellence. God is glorified when we do excellent work. Um, and sometimes it's easy to fall into the trap of thinking, God is only glorified when you do excellent ministry work. But that's not true. God is glorified when you are excellent at whatever it might be, um, so long as it's moral and legal. Uh, but the, the tricky part comes when we start thinking that it's all about us, and it is about our glory and not God's glory. I want to just give you a movie plug. If you have never watched the movie Chariots of Fire, please go and watch that movie. Uh, it is about the Olympics in the 1920s and a British runner named Eric Little. But really, it is a fable, a parable that is actually a true story about ambition and about worldly ambition versus ambition for the gospel. And it is profound and life-changing. So if you're scrolling through Netflix and there's nothing that grabs your fancy, um, it's worth spending $3.99 or whatever it is um, to rent that movie to watch it. Could you expound on that just a little bit? You said that God is uh, glorified through excellence. Can you give an example of that? Yes. Yeah, so one of my favorite quotations is from the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And he was talking about the fact that work is noble and that God made work in the Garden of Eden before the fall that man was to tend to the garden and that there, there's a beauty and excellence in doing good work. And he said, no matter what the work is, doing it excellently glorifies God, which is uh, really a paraphrase of a couple of different verses in Paul's epistles. But my favorite thing that he says is, if you are a street sweeper, street that, sweep that street as if you were Michelangelo painting a painting. And it's the whole idea that work is noble, that doing a good job serves other people, and that that, is, that in itself is a worthy and dignified thing. Um, the flip side of that is to do shoddy work, 
to do poor work um, is not glorifying to God. Um, there are some great books on the theology of work. Dorothy Sayers has done some great writing about that as well. Quick plug, if you have, um, there's another book by James K. Smith called um, On the Road with St. Augustine. He has a whole chapter on ambition. So that, that chapter alone is worth the book, but yeah. it's a great book. Um, yeah, I, I love, I mean, God himself is an artist. Like, he created out of nothing. And I think that's so important to think about whatever you're doing, you're created to reflect and mirror that same sort of attention to detail that is existing in all the beauty of the world that God has made. Great questions. Yeah, I love it. How are we doing? We're good. Any thoughts on the importance of intentionality and what it means to give someone your word? feels like our generation doesn't put much <coughs> Is it, did you say give somebody your word? Yes. Okay. Uh, what's the place, or what's the importance of integrity? And it seems like a lot of folks today uh, kind of flip-flop on their word. So giving people your word, the importance of that. What do you think, Brian? <laughs> so did you say intentionality or integrity first? Intentionality. Yeah, so I think that... Um, I certainly wouldn't want to like judge your generation since I'm in a different generation because um, I think every generation has its problems with that. But I do. But think I knew you were going to do that. Sorry. <laughs> I knew you were going to bash us. It's because we're millennial. No, I'm not actually. I'm not. See, you're just feeling. I knew guilty. you were going to do. I was waiting for the. Bug. We can talk later. Um, yeah. So the I think the part of the human condition is that we are. Um, always looking for a better thing. And that comes into the whole being better offered when you've got plans, um, you know, and people backing out of things if there's something that sounds like it's gonna be more fun. Um, I think the idea of your word is your bond. Um, maybe that was a concept that had resonance in the 19th century, but I know even in my generation that is not something that's really true, but that is an area that scripture calls Christians to be different, where our yes is to be yes, and our no is to be no, and that is um, right out of the New Testament. So I think that focusing on um, that kind of integrity in your speech, in your commitments, in your relationships is really important. And I also think that intentionality is important in the way that you spend your time with other people. Because one of the things that's easy to happen if you're really busy, um, like if I asked if you're really busy, probably all of us would raise our hands. Uh, One of the things that happens is that we tend to respond to other people that ask us to do things. And there's nothing wrong with that, but it's much better to be intentional and think about who is it that God is calling me to be invested in, and which of those relationships are ones that I really want to pray into and seek to grow in godly wisdom in that relationship and keep integrity in the way that I handle that. Because I think that when you are living in that state of routine panic, that's often when integrity starts going out the window. Yeah, I think intentionality is one of the most loving things that you can do. You think about uh, if you're on a date or you're going dating, you, if the other person doesn't seem intentional at all at any point, probably not going well. You're probably not attracted 
to that, right? And so it's really important to think about loving people involves intentionality. Loving God involves, love in general involves intentionality, I think. It's really, really important. And um, yeah, we're, I, I think it's absolutely right that we want to, and not missing out, I see this speaking in my own life, Brian, that I oftentimes will try to leave options open and just not want to, in, in hopes of doing something better or just trying to do too many things. Recognizing your own limitations, first of all, is really, really important because you can't be intentional with a million things. You just can't do that. So picking the few things that you feel like you can do and do well and being intentional about that is a really loving thing. It can be really loving to say no to somebody, even though it might hurt their feelings in the short term. It's so much better to say no instead of doing it half-heartedly. You know, and I think that's really important. Also, you mentioned let your yes be yes and no be no. The idea of uh, keeping our word. There's a whole commandment. Like we think about this, but the fourth commandment is not take the Lord's name in vain. Um, I think that's the fourth one, or is it yep. the third one? Sure. Yeah. So, um, but the idea wrapped up in that is that we are intentional in our words. God cares a whole lot about what we commit to, and part of entailed in that whole commandment is that you're. You're actually letting your yes be yes, and that you're very intentional about what you are saying you are going to do. Um, I think we would all benefit from trying to think more about saying yes to less things and saying yes to the more important and right things. Good stuff. Maybe one or two more? Last question. Okay. What are some of your So one of my reservations reservations, uh, is to start getting up earlier in the morning uh, because there is a lot of found time that you can have early in the morning where you don't get interrupted. And for most of my life, I have, or most of my adult life, I got up at 6.15 and just for whatever reason, I think over the pandemic, I've started always sleeping until 7.30 every morning, which is, I mean, that's not like evil or anything, but the, the time that there is in the morning to have uninterrupted time to pray, um, that's also a time that I love to walk early in the morning before everybody's out and about, because Charleston early in the morning is just spectacularly beautiful. So um, that is one of my resolutions. Another one is to um, do an intentional prayer time outside in the churchyard at St. Philip's at 9 o'clock every morning. Um, One of the things I've learned in my old age is that praying outside is a really remarkably rich experience. And if you've ever been around St. Philip's at 9 o'clock in the morning, one of the things that you will know is that there is a gorgeous bell peal that happens right at nine o'clock and if you're in the section between the church and the office building it resonates and reverberates and it is uh, magical so it is a wondrous time and there's something because the church bells chime on the quarter hour there is a sort of a liturgy of understanding about the passing of time that comes when you are praying in conjunction with church bells. So there are a lot more than that, but that's enough for now. Yeah. That's good.
good. I've got a, just a few different categories. I think health and fitness wise, one of the things that I do want to try and do is eat better and do a little bit more exercise. I think over the last few years, just the habit has sunk in of not, not doing basic care of, of my body. So Molly and I have actually joined something together that we're doing, which I'm really excited about. Um, I'm gonna be adopting a couple of these that, that are really, really good, particularly the, so there's the breaking the addiction to social media, but also working on mental health and anxiety. He talks about, these are uh, Justin Wimmel Early's um, posts about how to turn resolutions into habits, and the one on working on mental health, he says like, planning for eight hours of sleep, that's not gonna be, I'm not yeah. gonna be able to do that with a little baby, but what I am able to do is no screen one hour before bed and no screen one hour after waking. I think that's going to help things. That's gonna, if I do that, that's going to have to take precedent and really, what am I going to do with that time instead? So yeah. I'm really excited for yeah. that. And also just honestly, like, um, so being more intentional spiritually and uh, taking regular, probably at least every week or two, going away and doing some time, not just resting in the sense of like, stopping something but actually engaging some practices that I think would stir my love for the Lord and um, getting away I found does that yes. whether it's to the beach or something like that so those are three areas that I'm excited about cool well thank you all so much for coming this has been a lot of fun we're back at it we're going to be doing this every other week yep. now till forever I guess <laughs> I don't know so uh, but we're thrilled that you're here. We're glad that you came, and we can't wait to see you again next time. So drink up, tip well. We're really grateful for the folks. Eat the rest of the pizza. Yes, please take all this pizza. As I said, my resolution is to not eat this kind of crap. So, uh, yeah. All right. Thank you all. It's healthy pizza. It's got vegetables I got a veggie one. Oh, the chariots of fire. Chariots of fire. If you want to see something funny, watch the London 11th.